Welcome to Daily Drive Time Devotions. We're in day five of our look at John chapter two, verses 17 to 25. Yesterday, we began our look at Jesus' cleansing of the temple. As we begin today, before we dive into verse 17, let me ask you a question. Our understanding of God's lessons for us in this passage hinge upon this one question. Where is the temple of God today? Sometimes people read this about my father's house and they think the church building. Uh, We need to treat the church building well. It needs to be a place where we worship. It needs to be a place that we have good stewardship towards and treat with holiness. But the temple is not the church building. The New Testament tells us very clearly that the temple today is, is you. It's us. That's the temple. And so when the Bible says Jesus came and he cleansed the temple, we should not have the reaction of thinking, wow, Jesus really got after those religious leaders back then. Good for Jesus. The real application is, what about me? What about my life? Jesus drove them out. Jesus showed a divine refusal to put up with inward impurities. He wouldn't put up with it. I remember years ago, Shonda and I were sleeping. My wife and I were sleeping, and we heard some scratching up in the attic. Uh, She thought it might be a mouse or a rat. I didn't want to deal with that, so I thought maybe it was a bird up on the roof. Well, it finally ended up she was right. I had to go up and set some traps, and we captured the mouse, the rat. I don't remember which it was. And when we found that there was one there, Shondell said, set some more traps because there might be more. She is saying, I have an absolute abhorrence to little rodent kinds of things being in my house. And I have an absolute refusal to live alongside of those kinds of things in my house. I'm not going to say they're cute, that they have cute little tails, they don't eat much, or it's fine to have them there. I won't put up with it. And Jesus Christ, he drove them out. He looks at my life, and he looks at your life, and he sees maybe a rat's nest, maybe up in the attic where no one else can see it in your life. He hears the scratching, and he has an absolute abhorrence to those things in my life, in your life. Just like Shondell knew about rats, that they could do hidden things, destructive things. They could even eat through the wiring of the house and destroy the power that went to the household. God knows that those hidden things in my life, in your life, those things that we allow to creep in over the years, he knows what they can do. Now, God deals with us in patience. Make no mistake about that. He is patient with our sins. But in the end, he will not put up with sin. Do not mistake his patience for acceptance. And so when I pick up John chapter 2 and I read about Jesus going into a temple and driving out the sellers of animals and money changers, the real question is, What does he need to drive out of my life? And how can I cooperate with him doing that? How can I invite him in? Why not do that right now? Invite him in. Look to Jesus in your heart and say, Jesus Christ, there are some things that I've let creep in. There are some things that I'm struggling with. No one else may know about them, but I know about them. I know they shouldn't be in my life. Maybe it's the way you handle certain relationships. Maybe it has to do with anger. Maybe it has to do with lust or maybe self-pity. It might be something with financial sins or just not serving Christ in some way that you know he's called you to serve. Take it to him right now and say, Jesus Christ, you know it's there. I know it's there. Instead of hiding from it, I come to you right now. And I admit that I don't have the strength that I'd like to have to let go of it on my own. I come to you, Son of God, in power as your temple. And I ask you, Jesus, come into my life and drive out those things that make me unclean before you. I recognize your forgiveness. 
I walk in your forgiveness. And I also recognize your power and anticipate your power. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you prayed that prayer, I want to remind you that we tend to make excuses in our lives that keep the power of that prayer from happening in our lives. You see it in this passage. There are two reactions that come immediately to the cleansing of the temple in verses 17 and 18. In verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, His disciples remembered what is written. Zeal for your house will consume me. The positive reaction. But then in verse 18, the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you do to prove your authority to do all this? Two very different reactions to this cleansing of the temple. And it's very similar to the reactions that we have today. His disciples remembered this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And yet the religious leaders who should have known better, they say, what right do you have to do this? You see, the disciples saw the heart of Jesus, but the Pharisees challenged the authority of Jesus. And I want to be like the disciples. I want to see the heart of Jesus, the zeal of Jesus. When God comes into my life and he challenges me about my sins, it's my prayer that I, it's my prayer that you can see the heart of Jesus. And his heart is, Jesus' heart is, I want what is best for you. I want you to become all that I've created you to be. I can see what this sin is doing in your life. I can see how it's keeping you from serving in the way that you want to serve, from being the kind of person that God wants you to be. I can see that. And I want to clean it out of your life so that your life can be wholly what I want it to be. That's why he does it. He does it in love. I want to see the heart of Jesus. Now, sometimes all of us are like the Pharisees. We challenge the authority of Jesus. Instead of feeling the sting of guilt, we ask for his credentials. Instead of asking Jesus if Jesus is right, we ask what gives you the right. What sign? He was fulfilling Malachi 3, verses 1 through 3, a prophecy here. It was a sign in the fact that he cleared out the temple. They weren't looking for the morality of what he'd done. They challenged his right to do it. And we often do that. When God tries to cleanse the temple of our lives, that's so much like us. God uses different vehicles to bring the message that he wants to cleanse the temple. It might be a sermon that someone preaches. It might be something we hear on the radio. It might be something we hear on a podcast. We know it's a message from God, but we challenge the messenger. What authority did you have to say that to me in a sermon? How could you say that in a podcast? You've probably sinned more than I ever have. Now, the question is, is it God's message? And if God needs to cleanse the temple of your life, you can get all caught up in rights and authorities, or you can listen. You can get mad at the best thing that God wants to do in your life, or you can listen. In the ways that the Pharisees and the disciples reacted to Jesus' cleansing of the temple, there are two questions that growing Christians are asking themselves. Question number one is, why do I resist? Why do I resist God when he seeks to cleanse the temple of my life? He's offering me abundant life, and yet I hold him at arm's length. Why do I resist? Remember that God wants what is best in your life. And the second question is, how can I develop a zeal for God's temple today? I'm God's temple. How can I develop a zeal for God's cleansing my life? And we could talk about prayer and fellowship with other believers or time in God's word, but there is a foundation, and that is, whose house is it? Jesus' zeal, his real deal zeal, focused on the fact that this temple was built not by, by Herod, but it was his father's house. And here is the foundation. The more I become convinced of the fact that I am owned lock, stock, and barrel by Jesus Christ, the more zeal I develop for this temple that I can be before him. 
I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God with my body. Jesus cleanses temples. He wants to clean out the temple of my life, of your life. But in the next verses, we see some ways that we can find excuses, reasons why, well, maybe it's not yet time for him to cleanse the temple of my life. Two things to watch out for. First, watch out for getting caught up in the externals. And second, watch out for getting caught up in people's opinions. Getting caught up in externals, you see that in verses 19 to 22. Jesus answered them, who'd asked, how do you have the right to do this? Destroy this temple, and he was pointing at himself now, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after it was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Now, the historical note here is the 46 years of the temple being built dates this occurrence. We know that Herod began the temple building in 19 BC. You add 46 years to that, and you come to 27 AD. We know that Jesus was born a few years before zero. We don't quite have the time right at zero. And so that's, uh, that's the time that this happened. The more important thing here is that they couldn't see the heart of what Jesus was saying because they were caught up in the external circumstances around them. They were looking at the temple that was in front of them instead of looking at the temple of God and Jesus Christ. And I can do that too. You can do that too. If I make that change, we ask ourselves, how is it going to work out? How's this person going to feel? Oh, that's not going to work. That could never work. How come that other Christian isn't making this change? We look at all the externals, and it keeps us from doing what we know God wants us to do, what we know would bring us joy. Oh, It's not going to be easy, but it will bring you joy. And then there's a second excuse to watch out for, a danger when it comes to the changes that God wants to work in my life, in your life. We learn it from the words of Jesus in verses 23 to 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs that he was doing, and they believed in his name. But Jesus, listen to this, would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Because Jesus understood people, he would not entrust himself to people. Now, he trusted people. He trusted his disciples to spread the good news to the entire world. But he didn't entrust himself to people. He didn't rely on people. Here's what entrust means. He didn't rely on people to meet the core needs in his life that only God can meet. If you entrust yourself to people, you'll always be either disappointed or misled because there are needs in your life that only God can meet. Needs for affirmation, needs for love, needs for salvation, needs for life, needs for truth and joy. You entrust yourself to God. And that's where you find the strength to change. Entrust yourself to people that will always, in the end, lead you away from change. Because people tend to be like people, and we just sort of all be the same. Entrust yourself to God, and in the end, you're led towards change because you become more and more like him. So as we pray today, a brief prayer at the end of this study. Would you just reaffirm what you prayed to God earlier? God, here I am. Cleanse the temple of my life. Keep me from excuses. Cleanse the temple of my life. Help me to recognize your heart, Jesus. Cleanse the temple of my life. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, next week, we're going to be looking together at John chapter 3, including one of Jesus' most famous meetings and the most famous verse in the Bible. Music